brute force. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Software Radio, special operations military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. Softrep.com, on time, on target. We're getting right into it this episode because it's what's on everybody's mind is the meeting uh, in Singapore between North Korea and the U.S. Um, And who better than Jack Devine, honestly, to talk about this, the former acting and associate director of the CIA uh, operations outside the U.S. from the late 60s into the early 90s, now the founding partner and president of the Arkin Group. We haven't spoken to you in a while, but... This morning, I woke up to your tweets that led to your piece um, on the summit, which was the uh, spring slash summer intelligence report, which is up at the arkingroup.com. And uh, I, I really enjoyed reading your analysis of, of this, and uh, I'm looking forward to getting into it. Great. Jack, what do you make of this summit? I mean, first and foremost, um, you know, there's quite a bit of hemming and hawing and seesawing, of course, leading up to the summit. Now that it's actually happened, do you, what do you see as the, the real political substance or significance of this event? I think this is truly a major event. I know there's a lot of commentators today talking about, oh, we don't have the details and uh, what do we have? And, you know, you can, you can put on a hair shirt if you like on this issue. But, you know, I'm the uh, father of six kids and, you know, four daughters I had to marry. It's like the, the process where, you first propose, that's the big moment when you're in the process, and then you do all the arrangements of the invitations and everything else, and then you get around and you pronounce your vows. So I think we just had that big moment of you know, opening the, opening the door and having an acceptance of let's really get this thing done. Now, I agree the process is an arduous one, and it requires a lot of detailed work, but you know, it is a process, and I think uh, I, I think the team that uh, President Trump has around them and his instincts uh, are really good. And I think the second thing is the preparation for this, and I don't want to ramble on, but uh, Trump's pulling out of the deal is really was a, was a brilliant move because what it does is tells him, look, if, if we're going to play games, this isn't going anywhere. So I don't think they can do the North Korea shuffle this time. And I think uh, we're, we're going to drive this harder, faster. But you know, there's 140 sites out there that have to be looked at. It's not, it's not trivial. But coming to my wedding analogy, I do think, I think there's going to be a deal. Uh, exactly how it closes out in the end, uh, I think there's different options there. But I, I think this is a very positive development. But orchestrated very well, and I, I think it's unfortunate that some folks are depreciating it. This is a, this we've been in similar spots, but we have different uh, a different game at play, and I think we need to recognize that. So you see this as a significant um, baby steps or trust building in, in the context of international negotiations. 
I don't. Th- I don't think this is Trump style. I don't think it's going to be a hundred baby steps. That's what the you know I said the pundits are saying. Mm-hmm. I I think it's going to be a big step. First of all, he call, you know on his on his end he threw threw out the uh, war games, if you will, uh, a big gesture on our part. Okay. Yep. Uh, Kim, they're underestimating. He he's saying he's going to denuclearize. I mean that's a big. Uh, a big concession, uh, not concession, it's a big demarcation line. So uh, I think it's going to be fast. I mean, this thing isn't going to process along and a year later. We're going to say, well, we can't get this done. I, I think in the next three months, uh, we're going to know whether we, we have the makings of a deal. And if we go beyond three months, I, I think we'll be happy with the outcome. Um, but uh, this isn't going to be... Uh, you know, trust and verify. I mean, I'm not sure what the word trust means in this case, but you know, you verify that there's going to have to be conspicuous steps that are ambiguous and they're not baby steps. I mean, I think it's the difference. I could be wrong, but I certainly could be wrong, but I think this is going to have a different feel to it than the, you know, two years of preparation for an agreement. Jack, I was wondering if you could tell us how you see this. I mean, I think you've gotten into it a little bit already, but how you see this uh, event as being different than some of the past agreements that North Korea has signed, um, 2007, I believe, 1993, and several others where North Korea had promised to take steps towards denuclearization. Um, And, I mean, do you think it's a case that these are different leaders, that Kim Jong-un is a newer, younger leader of North Korea, and President Trump, of course, is President Trump. He's a little more unorthodox than most American presidents. He's unorthodox, but not necessarily in the business negotiation style. By that, I mean the way he approaches, the way business people, not just real estate, but every business, Mm -hmm. how they go about negotiating, which is somewhat different than... Uh, than the public sector that has the more patient. I'm not saying one, I, I would say that the business one tends to be more effective, but it has some rough edges uh, mm-hmm. uh, around it. I do think, and your points are really good, and I think Kim is in a different point. I think he really needs economic uh, uh, sustenance. Uh, he's making his new pitch. In other words, his big pitch is right now, okay, I got the nuclear deal done. Now I'm going to rebuild the economy. So he's going to trade off uh, some part. We're going to have to see how much of the nuclear deal to get the economic support. He needs, he, Jen, I'm now convinced. I've actually evolved over time on this. I'm going to tend to underestimate how much countries can suffer. Economically, you know, it's not that easy to bring them to their knees, and I'm not saying that's we got them with their knees, but he he really does want to change the game. How does he go back and say to his own people, "Look, uh, that was all, <laughs> this was all smoke"? You know, I've got a little relief for you for uh, two months, but uh, Trump's not going to let them. This this administration is not going to let them do a shuffle on it. He's going to have to start uh, tearing down these facilities. And and uh, and uh, the missiles as well. Now, how do you get to zero uh, on this? That's the problem that I'm sorting out. I don't see how, in a hurry, Kim says, "Okay, I'm 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 destroying all of my nuclear weapons." I mean, one thought to cross my mind is you work out an arrangement where he parks his nuclear weapons in either Pakistan or China. But I don't know how he goes to zero in a hurry. I think he can go from uh, 
let's say he has 30, there's a dispute about how many, but if he went down the five over the next year and uh, of the 140 sites, he got rid of 80, that would be huge progress. Getting to zero, that's the big, that's the big one. I think if you track it side by side uh, on the other deals, this will have a faster, uh, faster track to it with conspicuous uh, steps in the right direction or Trump will walk away. And I think Kim has a pretty good fix to that. I, I mean, he learned a big lesson, if that's the right way to phrase it, by uh, getting cute right before the summit. And Trump, uh, you know, picked up his cars and walked away. And I think uh, Kim knows what's going to happen if he does that. And is this all about um, posturing? Now, I would also say if the deal collapses, the risks of the regime go up. And he needs to understand that. So do you think... Kim genuinely is ready to take steps towards moving North Korea towards a market economy? I think that may be a bit much, but I, I think he is interested in opening it up, yes. Mm-hmm. Remember where we started in China years ago. Uh, it took a couple of years to get it to a market frame of mind, but uh, you know, it is such a poor country, and yet industrially, I mean, we go back to the 50s, uh, North North Korea was more prosperous because of the yeah. industry. And what you have now is the 11th richest economy in the world, just south of the 38th parallel, and one of the poorest countries right above it. So they've, they've given up their edge. And uh, I think there's a genuine interest at this point in changing it. Plus, his own people, over time, they're looking at South Korea. I mean, he, all autocrats have to worry about the fragility of the regime, even when they look like they, you know, they've got everyone scared to death. So I think there is a genuineness, and this is different than where I was as late as three months ago. I think he wants, I think he wants a deal. I'm not sure he wants it all up. And part of this negotiation will be, what's my low bid? How, how low can I go? <laughs> Uh, to get this uh, get this agreement acceptable, and Trump's will be how high can I get this thing? And Trump has set a pretty high bar on uh, denuclearization, so I think Kim has to work towards that. I think that's the way this is queued up, and I think it's different. Yeah. So last night I was watching all of this and watching the commentary. Um, I saw on Fox News that they they had Gordon Chang on, who I I do like. I've, Talked to the guy in person before, expert on China, and and really knows his stuff, and I think is very objective. And I'm glad that in your intelligence report, you also got into the, um, you know, the upcoming elections, both the midterm elections and the 2020 elections, because hearing Gordon Chang say this, um, it, it really struck something with me as well as seeing these two men actually meet in person after all these months of speculation. Um, and what he said was that this this all happened because of Trump. There was no other president who really had this idea on the table. And one of his major campaign promises, I guess you would say, is a denuclearized North Korea. And it was not it was something that not everybody else was talking about. And Obama did not make this a priority. Neither did George W. Bush. And he did. And that's the reason these two men were sitting in a room together. And I do think both, you know, what you were always saying as well, the posturing of that we're not going to meet on your terms and that we finally met on our own terms makes me think that Trump has a very good possibility of being reelected. And this being, you know, along with a strong economy, 
one of those reasons I could likely see that happening. It's interesting watching the, the news today. I mean, uh, many commentators are saying, oh, Kim got what he wanted, the big uh, display back in North Korea that he's meeting with the president. But the president, uh, Donald Trump also got a lot out of this. It really strengthened his electoral position because it shows him you know, getting it done. It's the guy that you know, plays serious on difficult issues. So, um, you know, I think this, from a political point of view, I mean, hopefully our policies aren't driven by pure politics, but if there's an opportunity to get it as a byproduct, sure, go for it. Uh, so there is, there are risks on both their parts by having this go south. I mean, you know, if it blows up and it's a hoax, and then it doesn't uh, go well for the for the president. And if uh, if uh, Trump walks away and leaves Kim hanging there, then it's not good. For, uh, and I think it increases uh, the prospect of instability in, in North Korea. So um, one thing I would note that I, I find fascinating and might be of interest to your followers, you know, there's an establishment way about doing things. And it's all about the pre-negotiation and preparing for the wedding and everything, right? Um, but there is an advantage uh, sometimes bringing a businessman in and saying, well, no, that's not how a deal gets done. You know, a deal gets done by the principal sitting down, they get an agreement in principle, and then the underlings work it out over the next uh, few months. And the question is, what's the texture of that sit-down? And how how well, uh, how well did they size each other up? I think they also were underestimated by the pundits in the preparation. They, our side was clearly prepared, knew what they wanted and didn't want to see happen there. Every move on this event was um, professionally orchestrated. So I, I think this is a big a big event. I don't want to bet that it'll end in denuclearization, but even the process. Remember the momentum that uh, that uh, Kim Jong-un had. Every couple of months he's firing off a missile with greater range and mm-hmm and more weapons being produced, at minimum just slowing that process down is almost a win. I wouldn't make that my my going in position, but it, even stopping it now, to reducing the tension, this is a win, clearly a win. Yeah, I, I would agree, and just watching this last night, I felt like I was watching a monumental moment, uh, you know, and I think if there is that moment of you know how reagan had the mr gorbachev tear down this wall if, if trump has a moment like that it's something that people will remember for the rest of their lives i remember back 70s uh, talking to the director at the time and it's interesting in the 70s the number one his number one stability issue was north korea and obama when he was briefing uh, Trump and the transition said, oh, look, your number one problem is North Korea. This problem's been hanging <laughs> like a sword over our head for a long time. So uh, if if we can uh, if we can make progress uh, on this, meaningful progress, then I, I do think we'll be remembering it for a long time. I'll be remembering it because the way it was orchestrated, I think it's been done very well. There's a a page or two that should be taken from uh, from the playbook on this as how we approach negotiations in general. Yeah, and, and who would have thought that this would have happened? I mean, it was just a few short months ago these guys were trading insults via social media and, you know, other places. <laughs> uh, you know, everybody made note we of We were the, talking about giving them a bloody nose. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, there was – everybody mentioned um, – 
uh, Kim Jong-un using the word doddered for Trump. And Trump, Trump was co- saying, we have bigger nuclear weapons than you do. Yeah, I and mean, calling him rocket men. And- we do. We absolutely do. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, people, the, the, I don't... I don't different, I mean, Trump, when Trump comes to table, and this is true with people getting twitchy of relationship with allies, which frankly aren't going to change over meeting in Canada, but... Uh, you know, when the President of the United States is sitting on the most powerful military, your folks know this in the history of the world, um, you know, that, that gives you a pretty good, uh, pretty good bargaining chip when you get to the table. You know, you don't have to fake a lot. You don't have to uh, exaggerate your strength. I mean, you walk in the room, this is the President of the United States, and whether you like his style or not, that power is uh, palpable, and I think we underestimate that, and I think it's been underutilized in the past, um, and I think people are confused about how allies actually look at their relationship with the United States, and it's based on America's real strength and role in the world, and they're, they're going to find accommodation with it. If, you know, North Korea does take steps to denuclearize and they do have somewhat maybe of a more westernized society, what do you think this means for our relations or the interrelations with with, uh, South Korea as well as China? I mean, this was, um, again, this morning's news of our ally in South Korea is shocked. And first of all, I don't think they were shocked, uh, A, uh, because there was a bit of... uh, uh, you can't have it out in the press before the meetings. You just have to have this thing uh, kept kept off. But South Korea is going to be our ally. We are indispensable to, indispensable to them. I mean, it's not like we're really important. We are indispensable. So whatever one may think about any particular line item in it, the South Koreans are going to want to have the closest, tightest relationship they can with us. And if I were them, I would too. And the South Koreans can elect. Now China is a different... China's a different story. I mean, uh, this is complex, um, and they they have an excellent capacity for thinking long term. They have a uh, uh, you know a country that has nuclear weapons on their border that's unpredictable, um, and you know the Chinese are long term thinkers strategically. Uh, they don't want an unstable North Korea, but they also don't want a united Korea, which is pro West. So there's a yin and yang on that. They also do not want an economic collapse in North Korea because the refugees will flow over. They also are interested in having a relationship, an important relationship with the United States and particularly in the economic arena. So there's a lot of issues at play here. Um, the, The fact that it's between Kim, and this is another very important aspect of this, this is between Kim and Trump that we didn't bring in any other party. And you know, we did the six party talks, and I thought that might be a way to go forward. Now they are the six parties are meeting, but not in the same room. But I think for the Chinese, not to be at that table is a little bit uh, unsettling to them. Um, and I think the relationship with Kim is problematic for them. So they're a small nation which always has an unease about powerful neighbors. So I think the Chinese have, uh, you know, I, I think on balance, it's in their interest to see this turn out successfully, but. It, they do have countervailing interest, and, uh, and we'll have to stay tuned. 
Absolutely. Okay, guys, I'm going to have to bail off. I understand. Uh, we okay. really appreciate you coming on for this yes, quick thank update. You. We know you're in high demand, and <laughs> once again, uh, <laughs> you guys can check out. Uh, uh, no one's more important than you guys. Okay, we'll talk. <laughs> All right, we'll talk to you later. Uh, as I'm <laughs> outroing Jack, I'll get, you know get his plugs in here, but uh, yeah, you can visit Jack on Twitter at JackDivine underscore T-A-G. Uh, thearkingroup.com and his book is Good Hunting. Um, yeah, as I said, obviously in high demand today. Like, that's the guy you want to sure. hear from. So I totally understand and I appreciate him just taking a few minutes to hop on with us. Uh, he was uh, cautiously optimistic. Yeah, and, and that's how I feel. Uh, you know, not that I have any, um, <laughs> you, you know, expertise on this subject, but just watching the news last night, and it's funny because we talk about this often, I rarely turn on the network news. But this was one of those historical moments where I wanted to see what was happening live. I wanted to see the commentary. And I really feel like in my lifetime, things like, whether it's tragic or good, the towers falling, Osama bin Laden being shot. To me, the leader of North Korea sitting down with the president of the United States is just a absolutely historical moment. And I agree with him. I, I, I don't want to downplay the significance of that. I mean, to me, that was, I mean, it comes across as a publicity stunt. And I mean, it, it is a publicity stunt. It's a very uh, formal, organized event in front of the cameras. I mean, that's what that's how it's presented. It's, a, it's not necessarily um, like some sort of an insult to say it's a publicity stunt. It's intended to be in the public eye. Um, I, I guess I'm a little bit more pessimistic. I wonder what the real substance is behind this meeting. Um, and what's going to come out of that and seeing the, the number of times that North Korea has pledged to take steps towards denuclearization, returning our, um, you know, our, our PO or I shouldn't say POWs, but our MIAs who are still in North Korea from the Korean War, all these different things that uh, North Korea has reneged on. Um, but also Jack Devine is also have as a valid point, you know, that Kim is a new leader. He's a younger leader. He has to show some legitimacy to the North Korean elites. Um, so, I, yeah, I mean, cautiously optimistic. Let's see what the next couple steps are. Yeah, I, I guess I look at this a lot differently than those previous agreements, because I think there really is a huge difference when you sit down at the table and you have a frank conversation with these leaders. Uh, you know, I don't, it's weird to relate this to our own lives, but, you know, you see how much drama goes on when something gets um, attributed wrong, you know, with social media and, and with a phone call and I, I think, or texting. I think there's a big difference when, you know, two people agree to sit in a room together in a foreign country and say, let's make this deal. And, I, I mean, I, I just think it's amazing that Trump set out to do this and he sat down with them. And I've I've been very critical of Trump on the podcast, but this, I think, is all, all around positive. And I don't think there's any possibility after this that that relations with North Korea will get worse. At the very worst, they will stay the same. And I think at the very best... It could definitely get worse. I, I don't see that happening. <laughs> I think once these two men meet and they've shook hands and they you know, exchange good words with each other. I, I honestly don't see it getting worse. And I think the public's perception, regardless of what some of the media would say, is that even, even liberals that I've seen talking about this are very happy that this has finally happened. And this is like a great sign of diplomacy being alive and well. It's, it's, it's a good step. But I mean, I, I, I wouldn't see it as anything more than a baby step. And, uh, but yeah, hey, 
you know, there's undoubtedly also other things going on behind the scenes that, you know, I'm not aware of. And, uh, you know, I wish, you know, President Trump the best of luck. I mean, if he can pull it off, it, that is historic and that's meaningful. And that'll I mean, it's almost difficult to describe how big an impact that would have on the Asia Pacific theater. Um, so, yeah, let's see what happens next. Yeah, it seems like we had a very different reaction because I my feeling I am, just, I'm, I'm you, not I don't get like sparkles and stars in my eyes, man. I'm not like that, but when I saw this image on the TV of these two people shaking hands, it is truly something that I never thought I would witness. And it I mean, was, this is something that North Korea has always wanted. They've always wanted to meet with American presidents sure. because it bolsters their legitimacy. And I never thought an American president would meet because with all the past American presidents were like, "Why do I want to give this clown legitimacy?" And I and I. Th- think that this is a step to show that the old guard, whether it's Obama, George W. Bush, the people behind them, are not always right, and that this is like a new way of doing things with this could be, It could be the case. It could be. Yeah. I mean, it could be just maybe um, a different personality, a different uh, approach. Maybe it'll make a difference. Yeah. Well, I was excited to see it. I'm excited to see where things go from here. Um, and with that, we do have another guest coming on this podcast, Dr. Leonard Wong, who we had on a few months back. And we're having him on because there's been some recent updates that really play into the piece that he wrote. Yeah. Back on the show, Dr. Leonard Wong, Lenny Wong. And I know the last time you said you just call me Lenny, but, you know, he is a doctor research professor at the Strategic Studies Institute at the U.S. Army War College, retired Army officer and has taught at West Point and served as an analyst for the chief of staff of the Army. Um, So the last time we had you on was episode 327. We're now at episode 360, believe it or not. Cool number. Um, But you co-authored a study with Stephen J. Garris called Lying to Ourselves, Dishonesty in the Army Profession. And the reason we wanted to have you back is because in recent weeks, we've seen that the Army has struck down some of these mandatory training courses That, according to you, Jack, and many others, was like a giant waste of time. <laughs> and and I think that you want to credit uh, Lenny with, with some of that happening. Well, yeah. I, I mean, just to, you please go back and listen to episode 327. But just to recap really, really quick before we get into it with Dr. Wong, um, he did this study that showed that one of the findings of the study was that there's more mandatory training put upon our soldiers than there are actual training days in the calendar. So they are overtasked and not able to focus on, you know, their, their mission essential tasks. Um, the, a lot of that training, um, Secretary Mark Esper recently said the guys don't have to conduct it anymore unless they have to, unless it's important for the immediate tasks that are coming up on their schedule. Um, so, Dr. Wong, I just wanted to have you on for a moment to talk about that and, uh, and say sure. thank you. I mean, it seems like your study has really had yeah. an impact on the force. Well, I'd love to take total credit, and I probably will at my next, uh, you know, annual evaluation. However, um, I, you know, it's, we can't really say it was me. Uh, I think there has been a groundswell. And yeah. I really, yeah. if you really look at it, I'm just a mouthpiece for what people are thinking. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that's really what happens is I'm allowed to say things that, that other people aren't because, you know, I'm sitting here at the Army War College where we have the freedom to do it and, and other people are being evaluated on how well they do it, you know, and so I just have the ability to do it. it and I'd like to point out, it's not just mandatory training, uh, even though that's what we talk about. There's also, you know, the secretary's gotten rid of 
administrative burdens like having to do the trips before you go on leave mm-hmm. or uh, the mandatory uh, MSAF on the OER that uh, it was like you just had to say you initiated it and, and it became a joke, a, a requirement that no one did, and, uh, but, and yet it was just another requirement. So it's not just mandatory training. It's a, an entire look at what are we saying we have to do that we're really not doing, right. and it's a waste of time, and let's just get those off the books. So it's it's very refreshing to see it, and it's refreshing to see it coming from t- up top. Uh, you know, instead of waiting for those on the bottom. Before it, it used to be, well, you guys on the bottom prioritize what you think is important, and and it was you know the burden became for the people on the bottom to report that they did everything, but decide what really to do. And so it's refreshing to see from the top saying we'll take care of it up here. For uh, for some of the, I guess, uh, civilians that might be listening to this, I mean, what does this mean for for the troops? I mean, what is the impact that this has on their lives and in, in, uh, in terms of soldiering, really, is what all I'm getting at. Yeah, I, I guess the first thing is that, well, you know, the Air Force started this first. They, they did it back in 2016, and they just started eliminating a ton of stuff. And, uh, and what it does, it puts back what we call white space on the calendar. And for, like you said, civilians who might not understand that, what that means is, is that uh, instead of someone filling in every block on the calendar, now we see large swaths of empty space, which allows a commander to say, you know, we really need to work on movement to contact. We really need to work on uh, operating a, a checkpoint or, or anything. I can now come up with my own training. I can be innovative. I can learn leadership by actually commanding my unit instead of taking my unit around to everything it's been told to do. And so, and white space. So that's one aspect. The other thing it allows soldiers to do is to spend time with their families instead of always going to the computer to knock out uh, the computer program you have to do before you go on leave to to uh, do the mandatory training on human trafficking. Um, it gives them time to get back to their families because usually you don't have time to do that during the day. You've got to do it at night. But then the other thing it allows us to do is it allows us to tell the truth. Before, we thought they were bogus requirements, and so we said we did them even though we didn't. Now we don't have to do them, so now we don't have to say we did them. And so that allows the integrity of the profession to bounce back, hopefully, where we don't have to uh, say we crammed uh, you know, 297 days into 256 available training days. One of those things that I'll never forget <laughs> from my time in the Army was my squad leader looking at me and saying, Murphy, never, ever lie to me. You tell me the truth, no matter how bad it is, and you let me figure <laughs> out how I'm going to parse those words to our platoon sergeant. Uh, it was just funny, funny thing that I remember as we were talking here. But, uh, I mean, also what you're getting at is that when a commander sees that, the, you know, say our unit is deploying to the Philippines for, um, for a training exercise, instead of doing all that mandatory training that has nothing to do with our mission, now I can say, okay, my guys need to go to the Jungle Warfare course. Right. And we used to go through a little kabuki dance of okay you know there's all this mandatory training you guys just go off and then come back and tell me that you did it and then we'll get on with the real stuff um and so uh yeah it it stops the charade of uh all the mandatory stuff that everyone knew was not important do you think there are uh more changes coming down from the secretary of the army or perhaps the other branches i i think so um i mean it's almost like every two we're surprised with another update and um, something else goes. And I think this, I think what's happening is that um, it's a cumulative uh, 
momentum going now of people saying, uh, we don't really need this. Mm-hmm. We can trust leaders to include this in their mission essential training. Uh, we don't need a separate block of instruction uh, for every stovepipe we've created in the Army. And so uh, I think uh, we'll see not just memos from the SEC Army, but hopefully this will give permission and freedom to subordinate commanders to say, no, we don't need to wear PT belts while running on a treadmill in the gym. Yeah. Uh, You know, (laughs) there's things that we can make a decision on because now I feel like leaders trust my, my judgment. And that the it's also going to lead to a boost in morale. You know, it'll make soldier. You know, by putting the decisions back in soldiers' hands, it'll improve. It'll allow them to make choices. It'll allow them to take on leadership uh, roles that were kind of stripped from them by having all the decisions taken out of their hands previously, and and still, I think, some pride back in the profession. Totally agree. I, I think it'll, you know, I think people will come home from a uh, from an exercise or for a deployment with uh, thrilled with the exhilaration of leading mm-hmm. that they were allowed to do. I'm proud of so their work. I, I think it's going to be a big boost. So it's an exciting, it's exciting times, and uh, I'll let you guys give me all the credit you can. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's what I was saying because when I when I booked uh, <laughs> Dr. Wong. Yeah, you were like, I don't know how responsible I am for this. And I was just like, you're too humble. You should say it was all me. <laughs> no, well, why, uh, you know, it's, I think it's, it's just fun sitting back and enjoying the times we're in as it's happening, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you, you're not solely to credit, but you did pen uh, an important study that was widely read, and, and I'm sure it had an impact. And, uh, you know, I appreciate the work you've done. I think it's great. It's, it's enjoyable. So... It's, it's, you know, but it also shows how long it takes to change a culture. (laughs) A big, big the original study, the original study that, uh, that said we have overloaded ourselves wasn't done in 2015. That just said it's now causing us to lie. The original study was done back in 2002. Oh, geez. Yeah, you're right. I remember talking about that. It takes a long time. So. Wow. And only old people like me can appreciate that. So. Yeah, I was just going to say it's great to see these steps happen and that change does happen, but at a very slow snail's pace. And positive changes do happen in the military. Exactly. It's, it's amazing. I mean, what a case study of how long it takes for a culture to change that we finally feel comfortable enough to say, mm-hmm. I don't know why we do that. Let's just get rid of it. You know, Kind of like finding your self-confidence. Yeah, and, and everyone is waiting for someone else to do it because everyone's afraid that they're going to be the only person that did it, and then everyone thinks you're weak. And so, you know, when the boss says, no, let's get rid of it, then I think it's, it, it's a great impetus for all the other momentum that we got to get going. So it's wonderful to see. Very cool. Any other studies that you're working for, uh, working on? Yeah, I was going to ask. I want to hear what, uh, some updates on what else you got cooking. Yeah, I'm working on something else, but I'm not going to reveal uh. that because uh, – <laughs> I don't. I don't want everyone to get defensive before I even say it. You know I, I, I mean, know. So. I know. You don't want to tip your hand. I got it. Well, th- thanks for coming on, Doctor Wong. We we love hearing from you, and it's always good to have good news because I think we often talk about all the things that go wrong in the in the military. It is. It's it's uh, it's good, and it, it's it's good to point it out because you're right. If we stay cynical all the time, we'll never realize yeah. when the good things actually happen. So, it's yeah, good. All right, you guys take care. All right, thank you, Doctor Wong. Again. Hey, I'm always here to support. See you later. Appreciate it. All right, take care. Um, 
So great having two awesome guests on. I'm sorry that the connection uh, might have uh, cut in and out a little bit there. Um, I'm going to get that looked into. But as you guys know, we're in a new studio. So with that comes some issues that we'll, uh, we'll fix along the way. But either way, um, I don't think we could have gotten a better guest on to talk about the North Korea situation. So I'm, I'm happy he was able to do that last minute. I usually plan things a few weeks in advance. But Jack Devine... I was like, you know, when I saw his piece, I said, we got to get him on, or his report, I should say. Uh, with that, do you want to see Dennis Rodman crying over uh, the situation? And I am so stoked right now. <laughs> <laughs> I got this sent to me so many times, but it, it is funny to think um, we were saying off And there, he's wearing his MAGA hat. Yeah, it is, it is funny to think that, like, this is who CNN w- went to. Because, yes, we talk about Dennis Rodman on this podcast, but, like, we kind of joke around about yeah, it. You, We're not running a major news yeah, organization. You, you, think, like, you think CNN would have, like, Jack Devine on or, like, somebody, you know, important. Yeah, you could speak but credibly. we have Jack Devine on. <laughs> they have again, Dennis I, Rodman. Yeah, I wouldn't I, – I would not say no to Dennis Rodman, but I just – do I look at him as an expert on this situation? Mm. Absolutely not. But uh, here he is. It was a long 15-minute interview, but here was, like, the best part. I watched it earlier of him getting very emotional. And Obama didn't even give me the time of day. I asked him. I said, I have something to say from North Korea. He just brushed me off. But that didn't deter me. I still kept going back. I kept going back. I kept going back. I showed my loyalty and my trustworthy to this country. And I said to everybody, I said, the door will open. I remember you saying it. I remember you saying it. Let me ask you something. Does Kim understand English, Dennis? No, it's it's amazing. It's it's amazing. It's amazing. When I said those things, when I said those damn things, when I went back home, I got so many death threats. I got so many death threats when I was sitting there protecting everything. And I believed in North Korea. And when I went home, I couldn't even go home. I couldn't even go home. I had to hide out for 30 days. I couldn't even go home. But I kept my head up high, brother. I knew things were going to change. I knew it. I, I was the only one. I never had no one to hear me. I didn't know one had to see me. But I took those bullets. I took all that. I took everything. Everyone came at me, and I'm still standing. And today is a great day for everybody. Singapore, Tokyo, China, everything. It's a great day. It is a great day. This is a historic day. I'm so happy. You were saying to me years ago that you thought this would happen. Uh, And I want to let you uh, be ready for me to ask you another question. Uh, I know you're very emotional about this. This is what I want to know. I want to know. Well, you're an emotional guy. You you feel very deeply about things. People who've been around you understand that. Why did you feel so strongly that you needed to make something happen for North Korea. There's so many places you could have gone in the world that have, you know, a much easier path to peace than North Korea, given the record of human rights abuses and other practices of this despotic regime. But you chose North Korea. Why? Well, you know, I I feel like, like I said, I was very naive when I went over there. I didn't didn't understand and uh, expect all the things I was getting when I went over there. They said, do you realize what you was doing, Dennis, when you went over there? I said, no. I thought it was just another one of those, those, those things. I was just doing some uh, charity event. I knew <laughs> that part's funny to hear. I just thought I was going to play basketball and just treat the people and be happy. <laughs> and that was it. But it turned out to be so, so much more bigger than what I thought. 
And I felt the fact that, you know, just listening to the people, seeing the kids, seeing the people there, and just meeting the, the regime, Kim and you, and, and the whole marshals and everybody, I just felt like I just fell in love with the country from day one. And uh, no, see, I like the way he describes like that, Kim Jong Un, though. I guess that I owe comes it to myself, you know, and the people around the world. You know what? I'm not in here. I'm not in this for no money. I never started it for no money. This is not about Dennis Rodman being the, the greatest person in the world to lead these two people together. It has nothing to do with that. I just wanted to see it get done so we all can live good together. Well, here's the no first hatred, day. No more hatred. Here's the first day. Let's see where it goes. Let me ask you something. You talk about speaking with Kim Jong Un. Does he understand or speak English? <laughs> the one thing about him, though, I always say about him, he's he's more like a big kid, uh, even though he's small. <laughs> he's more like a big kid, but he, he loves to have a good time. And, uh, and I was saying last night or this morning or this morning that he was going around taking selfies and stuff like that. And I was saying that this guy wants to be around the world. He wants to come to America. He wants to enjoy his life. He wants he's to making to me feel bad for him somehow. He wants to enjoy his life. I'm sure Ron Ray. The politics. Yeah, all right. I love to America. Uh, is just going to happen. I think this is going to change a lot. And I hope the fact that President Trump can understand, knowing that Kim is trying to reach well, out that's and the trying big question, to get into the 21st century. That, that's the big question. I want to ask you about that in a second. But let me just get an answer to this. Do you think he speaks or understands English? Well, I think he understands bits and, bits and pieces. If you talk about basketball, yes, he understands that. <laughs> so you think it's about what he wants to talk about? Do you think he's studied English? I, I can say one thing. I think people know that Kim Jong-un is not a dumb man. I think he's understanding from his grandfather and his father. I think that he's trying to protect his people. He's trying to protect his honor and, and, his, uh, and everything that has to do with his country. But uh, like I say, that's respect. Yeah. All right, so I'll, no. I'll cut it out from there. I don't think there's anything more. I mean, it was a long, over 15-minute interview. Um, wow. But I, it was <laughs> That was, the, I think, the best way, too, where he goes, he's like a little kid, and, and also he's small. You do, you do get the impression, like, you know, uh, again, goes goes back to taking a different approach with North Korea. Like, you wonder, maybe if Obama just went over there and played basketball with them, like, everything would have been cool. Like, they would shoot some hoops, yeah. have a couple beers, you know, and, and things could have been different. They That's what he did up. with Rodman, so. Oh, man, we live in a very strange world. <laughs> yeah, and, it, and, you know, I... I don't. I think in Dennis Rodman's mind, he feels he had something to do with these two meetings, uh, the, these meetings of the minds, and maybe he did. I don't know. I mean, he is the first American to go over there and have some type of diplomatic relation with Kim Jong Un, well, even I, if it was just for I mean, a basketball game. Dennis, I, I mean, I think it's known that he has some substance. Oh yeah, absolutely, issues. and you could tell. Yeah, um, you know, it really brings his emotions to the forefront and. You know, but I mean, maybe on some level he did gain some empathy for the North Korean people and and views them as the underdog or something like that. But I don't I don't know, man. That, this is a, he's a hard cat to make sense of. Yeah, I have empathy for the people. Um, do yeah. I have the empathy he does for the leadership? I don't. No, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I don't really know where that comes from. But also he was shown, you know, you could see in the documentary, Big Bang and Pyongyang, he was shown this flowery, you right. know, fictional the pro- the view propaganda of, what, tour, yeah, yeah. of what North Korea mm-hmm. is. And I think he bought into that. Yeah. I mean, North the North Korea is run by a criminal government. Yeah. Uh, the, the Kim family regime. Uh, there's nothing 
admirable um, to be found there. But, you know, the North Korean people themselves, they're not bad people. They're oppressed people. And, you know, I I hope that they experience freedom. Yeah, I don't think anybody has, you know, feelings of hatred towards the North Korean people. It's empathy because of who their leadership is. Yeah, but the North Korean people, they've been propagandized to think, you know, we hate them. Yeah. You know, that we're, we're looking to enslave them. So, I mean, and, and the because of uh, Western media increasingly leaking into North Korea, the North Koreans have their eyes open more now than any time in the past. So that makes, you know, that maybe that relationship, maybe there are some more opportunities to build bridges there. Um, but, you know, I, I just think that when North Korea does open up, um, those people are going to be there are, you know, they've been traumatized for generations and um, the the both the physical and the mental health aspects of repairing that country are just going to be tremendous. Yeah. Yeah. I, I am with you on that. Um, there's only one club out there with gear handpicked by special operations military veterans from several branches. And that, of course, is Crate Club. Past items we've had in our crates have been Emerson Knives, a Blackhawk Industrials medical pouch, and cool stuff like a custom playing card set from an exclusive photo shoot. We did have some models with guns. We have different tiers of membership, depending on how prepared you want to be, and gift options are available as well. You could check that all out at CrateClub.us. Once again, that's CrateClub.us for you dog owners. Check this out. You're going to love this. We've just partnered with Kuna. They have a team of trained canine handlers picking out a box for your dog every month of healthy treats, training aids, and it's custom built for your dog's size and age as well. The products are U.S. sourced, all natural, and not only promote a healthy diet, but also promote being active with your dog. You can check that all out at kuna.dog. Go to the website, kuna.dog. It's efficient for you. Your dog will appreciate it as well, of course, and that's spelled C-U-N-A dot D-O-G. Also, and we'll get into this a little bit, uh, as a reminder, those who are listening for a limited time could receive a 50% discounted membership to the Spec Ops channel, our channel that offers the most exclusive shows, documentaries, and interviews covering the most exciting military content today. You can see that and get a $4.99 membership a month at specopschannel.com or the app, which Chris, our web developer in the Philippines, who's a Great dude. It's funny when I say the Philippines, people might think like we don't have any relation with this guy, but like we see Chris several times a year. Great dude is like yeah. a huge part of what you see on this website every day. And Chris, Chris is the website. Yeah, I mean, me and the other guys, we provide you know the content, the writing, but Chris is the website. Absolutely, <laughs> like and and just the layout of everything and how sharp everything looks. That's all thanks to Chris. So I really can't state that enough. Um, and the app, just check out the Spec Ops channel app. But the, the thing I said I was going to talk about, we just this past weekend shot a new Inside the Team Room that'll be yeah. up on the Spec Ops channel. Yeah, I'm and glad you brought that up. Yeah, since there's photos out there, I think we could say who was on it, what we did, yeah, yeah. right? Uh, so there is uh, our own writer, the Odyssean, is on there. Uh, Danielle Bizier. James Powell. James Powell. And, and Sam, Sam Faddis. So and James Powell almost died. During the shooting, he, of yeah. Oh, well, I'll have to let someone else explain his. Uh, well, I mean, he just gets uh, overheated because of a, a past medical issue. But I mean, it did get pretty hot. There was a lack yeah. of air conditioning. Yeah. Talking about moving into a new building where not everything is um, 
you know, we were given the space, but we weren't told there would be no AC that day. And so Danielle... With Dan- a combination of bright lights and, you know... Oh, yeah, yeah. So, but anyway, yeah, so what we're saying? Uh, well, Danielle was there. She was, uh, worked for the DIA. Sam and, and James worked for the CIA. And uh, the Odyssean worked for... Um, he was Army, Army uh, Intel. And surprisingly so. enough, this is the first time you'll see the Odyssean unmasked. I mean, there's, oh, been, yeah. there's been photos out there, but I was pretty surprised to see that he was open to doing this, uh, you know, in clear sight. Yeah. But it's, we uh, shot a ton of footage. I mean, it was a long day, so I don't know how much of this is going to be edited on the cutting room floor. It was but like about five, five hours, hours of raw footage yeah. in that. And I felt like we could have gone much longer. Um, well, people even... People who listen to the podcast have been saying for a while you need to do it inside the team room of Intel guys. And they've said, you know, getting the Odyssean on there who could talk. Danielle could definitely talk. Uh, James and uh, and Sam Faddis were, you know, aren't as long-winded. But I remember people saying, like, this is going to be like an epic, like, nine-hour inside the team room. And sure been. enough, it lasted very long. Yeah, I'll be interested to see how many episodes it gets carved up into. Yeah, um, and I don't know if we're able to talk about the other project that we worked on. Uh, you weren't there for that, but with Alex Holland. Oh yeah, no, Alex said something. I mean, it, it's uh, they filmed. It's like a pilot, right? Yeah, it's a pilot of them basically playing video games, and I thought it was really cool, man. Um, it was Alex and the Odyssean, and they play about five or six different games, and they go into the background of it, and those guys have great uh, chemistry actually on camera. Um, I always like when Alex is on the podcast, and they really worked well together. So I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with this. But they had, like, great um, comments to each other. And I think once it gets cut down to its best few minutes, people are going to enjoy it. I I really enjoyed it. To be completely honest with the inside of the team room, I had worked with Brandon the night before on A Power of Thought and then stayed up late editing that. I was the first person here to get all the equipment into that room. So because of my lack of sleep at a certain point, yeah, I had checked out. Yeah, you seemed like you were exhausted. Yeah, so w- when I watch this inside the team room, it's going to be new to me as well because I was mentally not all there. But you were a part of the inside the team room on some level because you asked some important questions and set them up for some discussion. Yeah, yeah. I was there to moderate a little bit. Once it airs, I said to T.O. that we should get um, Sam Faddis on the podcast because I've never spoken to him before, and I thought he was great. Really interesting background. and Oh, yeah. Yeah, maybe even play some of the best clips for the audience. Sam did a ton of interesting stuff working with the agency. Him and his wife actually both served with the agency. Which he spoke about. Yeah, and at times they even worked together or worked similar subjects, but I'd, you'd have to get into that with him. Um, very interesting guy, very knowledgeable person. Um, and so, you know, when we filmed that episode, I mean, he was able to draw on, you know, his background working in, uh, in Greece. Um, he was on one of the first teams into Iraq leading a paramilitary operation before the invasion of Iraq. Um, so yeah, did a ton of stuff and, um, yeah, he would be a great guest to have on the podcast. Is he in New York? No, no, he is. Uh, I believe he's down in Maryland. Okay, all right. So we'll get him on. I, uh, you know, because To was saying we should promote this out, and I was thinking maybe the week that it goes up, we'll do a new show with Sam Faddis. That'd be and cool. And then maybe do like a best of the audio, like uh, 
an hour from that so that people could hear it. And then hopefully if you're not already subscribed. Yeah, do, do an excerpt or something. Yeah. Uh. Plus, it's always nice for us when we have a day that we don't have to come in here as much as we love doing this. Uh, sometimes it's, it's good to get away from that, and I could uh, compile that before. But, yeah, if you're not already subscribed, there's going to be so much great stuff on that channel. Um, and it's cheaper than ever. So specopschannel.com. There's also now an Inside the Team Room Snipers up. Um, and I think that's up, I believe, because it's been a while, it's up in its entirety now with uh, Isaiah Burkhart and Nick Betts, Jason Delgado, and Nick um, Irving. And those are some favorites of the show. All right, so I guess if that's it, man, anything else that you want to cover before we get out? Oh, you know what? I should also cover, I wrote this down before we do... Um, finish this up uh after we did thursday's podcast which goes up friday we heard the news about special forces staff sergeant alexander conrad uh dying in somalia so i, I figured yeah. we we had to mention that so we we broke that story actually about the um the attack in somalia and it was um third group guys third special forces group they were uh building a new fob down in, in southern somalia to try to you know uh, reassert influence, governmental influence, and, and capture that area um, from Al Shabaab, and um, they came under a, a pretty what it sound, sounded to me like a pretty substantial attack, receiving mortar fire, um, technicals, you know, machine guns mounted on pickup trucks, um, and so you know, the one American soldier was killed, uh, a couple others were wounded, um, so it was a pretty substantial firefight. Um, the other big piece of news that you know, I, I was able to break in the last couple of days was um, the uh, communist West Point cadet. Yes. Getting an other than honorable discharge. Um, and, you know, a lot of different media outlets picked up on that. After I saw it. That was it. all over. And um, yeah. So he is hanging out. <laughs> oh, boy. He's been hanging out up at one of the S shops in uh, 10th Mountain Division. And um, I guess word has finally come down that after the investigation since like last September, um, that he's getting an other than honorable discharge. So he's out of the Army, won't be uh, – I don't think he'll be able to receive VA benefits. I don't think he'll be entitled to the GI Bill. Um, it could affect his chances of, of employment. I mean, certainly I, I don't see him getting any employment in, uh, in the government or law enforcement or anything like that. Um, so on one hand, you almost have to kind of feel bad for him in a sense that, like, but on the other hand, it's like, bro, you're not just a dumb kid anymore. Like, you know, you were served in Ranger Battalion. You got kicked out. You know, you, you got kicked out of Ranger School. You were lucky enough to get accepted to West Point. You went through all that training and education, and, and then you flushed it down the fucking toilet. Um, so, I mean, old boy brought this on himself. Um, but on the other hand, now he's going to be a soldier, a uh, former soldier, a veteran out of the army in the same boat that a lot of other guys are in, that he's going to have trouble finding a job and finding his way in the world. He's um, in New York, right? 10th mountain division is in New York. Yeah. It's up in well, Watertown, I believe. Yeah. No, but is he originally from New York? I don't believe so. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, I think I remember in our writers group, you, you found his Facebook profile and I think I remember him being a New Yorker. Actually, I, I had one mutual friend with him and I remember who it was too, but it was not a New Yorker. Actually, it was a uh, frequent guest on Joe Rogan's podcast. Oh, Daniele really? Valelli was an Italian guy, but I was like, all right, interesting. Um, but no, I know that you, you tracked down his uh, Facebook profile. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it wasn't hard to do. I mean, he, I think he just changed the name on it. Yeah. You know, um, 
But that's that. I mean, it's what's done is done now. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, um, rest in peace, of course, to um, Staff Sergeant Alexander Conrad. Um, you know, and I did see one, I, I guess you would say negative response to um, on the power of thought. We talked about the death of uh, Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade. And someone was like, you know, why are you focusing on this and not, you know, a special forces soldier died, dying? And I think um, I don't think it's focused on one or the other. You know, these are two people, regardless of if you're into them, who made a major impact on our culture, you know, for Anthony Bourdain and the food industry in uh I don't give, I don't give, I don't give a fuck about Anthony Bourdain just yeah, I, I I understand yeah but I understand I mean um, I I I like sympathize for his family and his friends because they're going through something just like anybody else who has a family member that commits suicide um but I mean I don't give a fuck about Anthony Bourdain yeah, I I'm not with you on that because I think mental health is an issue that really needs to be discussed and when you see guys um you know or women like Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain who, in the eyes of the public, and we talked about this with, I talked about it with Brandon, you know, have it all. They have all the money that they need, all the success, families, sure. and they still do this to But themselves. they're still miserable. Yeah, yeah, it's showing that this is not something that's just like a poor American problem or, a, yeah. or even a military problem. There are people who are like the greatest entrepreneurs that end up going out this way. And, you know... And there, if, there are also people, like people who have clinical depression... And maybe that's what Anthony Bourdain had. Maybe, seems, maybe, yeah. maybe that's what Robin Williams had. It, Robin Williams, no, which I actually I, I'm, I've heard interviews with his best friend. Um, he had a early form of dementia and he was very confused about everything. And that's actually why he ended his life. He talked about it very in depth. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, OK, well, another mental health issue. Yeah. But I mean, people like that, I mean. They're not killing themselves because they're pussies. Like there's literally something, you know, physiologically wrong, chemical imbalances. Um, so I mean, please don't take that the wrong way when I say I don't give a fuck about Anthony Bourdain. I mean, again, I feel sorry for his family. It's just there are how many people committing suicide across America every day? Yeah, but I can't I can't invent like emotionally invest. No, I, in I this get that for you, but I don't think um I don't I don't think there should be confusion as to why do we focus on this guy as opposed to, you know, allegedly, because I know it's not probably the real number, 22 veterans a day killing themselves. But still, and the reason more, wh- more than any of us are comfortable with are yeah, killing each, themselves for sure. every day. But, the, but I get the reason why these 22 veterans who are heroic, who fight for, you know, our freedoms due to the fact that, you know, it's an all-volunteer military. Yes, very important. I, I, I can't state it enough. I mean, I do this podcast I understand. But with Anthony Bourdain or Kate Spade, this is someone that is in our culture that people are invested in, that people feel like they know. It's like if a host of a podcast that I listen to regularly or a TV show I watch dies, you feel like they're, they're someone you know. And, and so it is an, I get but, the impact and, it has on the people. Fa- the fact, For you, you don't watch Anthony. And, I don't watch Anthony and the Bourdain's fact, show The fact either, that they killed themselves also proves that you didn't know them. Sure. That you this this personal relationship you think you had with them is a facade. You know, it's like how many people thought they knew Bill Cosby? Yeah. You didn't. You yeah. didn't know him. You don't have a relationship with these people. Yeah. And and I mean it's like years ago you had asked me about uh on the podcast about uh Charlie Sheen having AIDS. And I was like, I don't give a fuck. Because you know, he made his decision. Sure. You know, and I mean, it's it's horrible, and AIDS ravages people. Um, I think he had HIV, right? Because he's still living. Yeah, in, you're, in I think you're right. I think you're right. It was it hadn't um, turned to AIDS. It was HIV. Magic Johnson. I mean, the guy's lived like this 
great life regardless of having HIV. Yeah, that, so. I mean, that's incredible, yeah. um, his case. But, I mean, you make your decisions in life. Like, I don't have any special sympathy for the person just because they're a celebrity. No, I. but anyway, my feeling was you could sympathize with many things at once. It's not just a... You know, it, just because we're talking about Kate Spade and um, yeah, it, do, it doesn't Bourdain mean it doesn't mean podcast. fuck the troops. Yeah, like, no, let's everyone take a deep breath on that one. Exactly. So, um, you know, if you were someone who was invested in those personalities, you check out the latest Power Thought podcast. And we actually had a really—I shouldn't say we, because really, Brandon, I, I chime in now and again, but had a really in-depth discussion about depression and actually got into the death of his friend Glenn Doherty. Um, so I get it. There are people who are invested in these personalities. You know, Nick Betts, for example, I tracked him down while they were on their uh, skiing trip, shooting Big Mountain Heroes, got a picture with him, thought he was a, you know, all around great guy. So the guy, I mean, my my friend, uh, my former teammate, James Hupp, who killed himself, dude was a fucking super stud. Like the, he was the last person I would ever expect. But, you know, people get down in the dumps. I mean, well, that's that's kind of putting it mildly, yeah, exactly. isn't it? Yeah. I mean, more than down in the dumps. I mean, you reach that point, you hit bottom, and, and it's just utter hopelessness. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm sad that, you know, James came to that point. Um, he made his decision, too, um, to be frank. But, I mean, I, I wish he had made a different decision. Yeah. I, I, the, the best thing that comes of this is that it opens up a discussion and it lets people know that it's not, you know, one certain demographic who's hit by this. It, it's millionaires as well which means it's everybody. Um, so, you know, whether it's the 22 veterans a day or this, if it opens up a discussion, gets people talking and finding solutions, and I think that's a don't positive Don't be afraid thing. to reach out and try to get help, whether it's uh, professional, uh, like psychiatric help, or just talk to a friend or yeah. a clergy member, or however it is you roll, call your mom, call your dad, whatever it is, you know. Um, especially like Jesus. I mean, somebody like James is horrible because, I mean, that guy... He, he had, I mean, I know he didn't feel like it at that moment, but he could have had such a bright future, you know? Sure. Um, well, on a lighter note, next episode, we should be having Alex Hollings on, um, who I got to spend the last few days with here as he was shooting, and uh, talk about his old man fitness column, because from what I know, it's like the most thing, re- the most read thing on soap right I now. I mean, it's one of the, definitely one of the most uh, pinged, yeah, articles. people people love that column. Yeah. So we haven't had him on in probably a good three or four months. So I figured we'd get him on. We'd talk about it. I know he's been writing about different supplements and and uh, writing about fitness from an honest pers- perspective because there's a lot of uh, scamming going on uh, out there. I you know I once heard someone talk about the supplement industry almost like the televangelists you know like those people are promising you a ticket to heaven oh yeah these yeah, people yeah. are promising you like the perfect body if you take uh you know this form of protein powder and i think alex talks about as a guy who's been into fitness for many years um talks about it from an honest perspective that there is no you know magic bullet to, to getting the, the body that you did. Not until, uh, you know, gene doping and gene editing comes yeah. around. And, and then every one of us, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to be jacked and tanned and juicy <laughs> as fuck all the time. Yep, that'll, that'll be interesting. You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio. New episodes up every Wednesday and Friday. For all of the great content from our veteran journalists, join us and become a Team Room member today at softrep.com. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Soft Rep Radio. 
And be sure to also check out the Power of Thought podcast, hosted by Hurricane Group CEO and Navy SEAL sniper instructor, Brandon Webb.